I was on trial for obscenity in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and I was shot on my way to the courthouse. I woke up three months later, and actually I was a whole year recovering. I really almost uh, died as a result of the gunshot wounds. But the man who shot me uh, shot me over a black and white photo feature that we had published in the magazine. That is the disgusting Larry Flint, who ran Hustler magazine, Hustler Inc., um, often labeled a free speech advocate, but he was really only fighting for the opportunity to, <laughs> to become rich off of porn. I mean, I don't think he cared that much about the nation. Um, yeah. wasn't, the, wasn't the trial over a political cartoon? It was. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to disagree with you to some extent. He did make some really good pro First Amendment art, uh, arguments at a time when <clears throat> there was there was too much censorship. Still, now, yes, at its heart, he wanted to uh, sell more porn, show girls but, that look like teenagers in a brightly lit naked sh- shot. Well, they they filtered all of it so that parts were unnatural colors. But yeah, uh, which is odd. I find the, uh, most parts fine as God made them. Um, but yeah, so he he was absolutely a disgusting guy. But again, it's worth looking at you know what he actually said about the First Amendment. So that was a particularly glib clip of him. I remember when we interviewed them. I think we talked to him at least twice. But I know the last time we talked to him, <laughs> this is what he sounded like. You ask him a question. Uh, free speech was at the very heart of your uh, argument, wasn't it, Mister Flint? I thought uh, that's what the yeah. interview was like. <laughs> yeah, it was an exercise in skin crawling patience. Oh my god! And yes, I understand he was paralyzed by a gunshot. That doesn't mean I have to listen to him. No. <laughs> well, he's passed, Jack. I don't know if we buried the lead. <laughs> oh, that's right. He died yesterday. The great Larry Flint has passed on. And he was only 78. Anyway, that's enough on Larry Flint. Yeah. Yeah, that's at least enough. There's a proposed Senate bill in California that could make repeated porch piracy a felony. Good. Which is kind of interesting in a state, uh, you know, like some areas of the country where they're really lowering the bar, raising the bar, depending on how you look at it, for these various crimes to make well, it. Well, they've decriminalized crime. Yeah, to make it seem like stealing stuff's not that big a deal. And that's why there's so many car break ins, for instance. Um, it's just not that big a deal if you get caught. So the, the the police don't really come and even check it out because what's the point? You don't get charged with much and all that. But there, I do agree though that there is something about stealing packages off your porch that is like I don't know feels more personal or or well, I feel more violated than some other thefts. Yeah, I don't know well, why. I, it's absolutely, it's entering your property to steal. Of course, you know, breaking into your car is doing the same mm-hmm. thing. But it's, it's you know, it's entering into your domicile It's in a way. Now, I know you're not literally entering, but I don't know. On my front porch, if a hostile human, or a beast for that matter, is on my front porch, I am in a dangerous situation. I think so. Listen to this. Because, and this is what jackass juries get wrong. Well, you could have uh, retreated or done this. No, you don't know what's going to happen. Senator Brian Jones, Republican El Cajon, said... Founder of the Rolling Stones as well. The prosecution and law enforcement, their hands are tied in that it doesn't matter how many times somebody steals a package. 
it's still only a misdemeanor. So somebody could steal your package every single time it comes to your home. It's still a misdemeanor. Right. And they're trying to pass a law that... Or, um, for that matter, every home in every neighborhood, every day. If you do it repeatedly, it becomes a felony. God, hell yes! Good gosh! What kind of sane society wouldn't look, look at it that way? Yeah, yeah I know it. I know it. Well, it's, it's uh, Cal Unicornia and the, the blue states are reaping what they have sown. I got Skyrocketing crime and violence. Oh, hey, by the way, I made an incredibly uh, controversial statement yesterday about the poor old people who are getting beaten down in uh, the poor Asian old people be getting beaten down in the Chinatown part of, of Oakland. And all the mainstream media was talking about it and directly attributing it to Donald Trump calling it the China virus. Well, I said, because I looked into this, I spent quite a bit of time. Everybody arrested and everybody caught on video so far. And again, if I am incorrect on this, please do correct me, has been a young black man. White supremacists? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's Donald Trump calling it the China virus. It is young black men knocking down and robbing older Asian people in Oakland. Almost certainly has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Right. We uh, we received an email from a just just like just retired prosecutor in the area who said that's 100 percent right. And it's been going on since way before the coronavirus. It's already a big problem in Oakland. Um, So that's just I heard on NPR yesterday morning about the violence against Asians being blamed for the coronavirus. And I thought, is that actually happening? No, it's not actually. It's not actually happening. Only you'd have to be so crazy or such an idiot. Oh yeah. Both. Both. But here's my point about this. My point is not to to call out black people in general or anything like that because I have no intention to do that. That's a good idea right there. If if you are because I know the way it'll be twisted, if you are actually concerned about these poor old Asian folks being brutalized and the one poor guy who's 90-plus, he got knocked brutally to the ground. He's still hospitalized, I think. Oh, man. If you want to protect these poor people who have the same right as every American, black, white, Asian, to enjoy a, a safe life, you have to correctly identify what's happening. Don't use it as the pretext for some politically correct woke shot at Trump or white America, or something, when that has nothing to do with it. These poor people are being grievously injured. They need to be protected. Be honest about what's happening. It's enough to make a guy insane. In my segment I call, Wait For It. That's good. Weight loss efforts over the decades. Wait for it. Mm -hmm. I get it. Hmm. I like it less than I did. <laughs> well, you liked it better before you heard it. Before before he realized it was a pun for for dieting. Oh, okay. It's just it's such a bad one. Thought this was interesting. Yes. The average content th- better be better than the name. Th- I think it is the average percentage by decade of adults who say they're seriously trying to lose weight. So they average it out over decades. They got the nineties. The 2000s, the 2010s, and now into the, the so th- three decades there. Hmm. Um, the percentage of people serious about trying to lose weight, for some reason, it went up quite a bit around 2000. I don't know if it was Y2K or, <laughs> or a party like it's 1999 or whatever. Maybe it was just that obesity got a lot worse. 
I don't think so. There are, there are more fat people who want to lose weight. Well, that would be true if it kept going up, because I know we're more obese ah, now than we were in 2000. But then, it, interesting. But then okay. it dropped again, and it's now below where it was in 1990. Um, and I have no idea why. Anyway, um, overall, about 21% of people were serious about losing weight in, 19, in the 90s. Then in the 2000s, it got up to 27%. And then it's dropped down to 26%. It's now down to 23 about flat where we were in the 90s. But so why do we have this bell curve shape of people being serious about losing weight? Is it, I wonder if there's some sort of, uh, everybody's tried it a couple of times and it's way too hard and they just decide not to. Think that's a possibility? Yeah. I mean, I realize there are new people coming on board over a 30-year span. Um, Is it possible that there was, like, the Atkins thing was just so hot, more people were trying it? You know, that is about the time the Atkins thing was really hot. And it it seemed like finally the magical diet. Right. Where the weight just falls off of you. Maybe that is something to do with it. I don't know. Craig's the uh, healthcare guru, by the way, formerly the Obamacare lawyer. He's uh, been doing the keto thing, going hardcore, like no sugar, no grains. Well, no sugar's got to be good. Well, and he's, he looks great. He's lost like 25 pounds oh, and really? he's kept it off. And he, it, importantly, and he wasn't obnoxious about it. We had lunch Does yesterday. Does he maintain ketosis? I don't know. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he said it's really helped with inflammation and digestive problems and all sorts of things. Hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a, uh, does it help with sneezing? <laughs> I'm the intermittent fasting thing still. I'm down to a five hour window most days. You can have it. I eat between one and six, and it's quite easy at this point. It was very, very hard in the beginning, but it's become practically effortless. I um, have a four-hour window of not eating. I get up <laughs> in the middle of the night, have a meal, <laughs> go back to bed. That's <laughs> more or less the way I used to do it. I just think it's interesting that as a society, we got more and more serious from between 1990 and the early 2000s about losing weight, and then decided, nah, and then and went back down to where it was before. I don't know. I yeah, no, that I is no interesting. Explanation for that yeah. or whatever. I mean, I don't know. think about yeah, it. I'm, Discuss amongst yourselves. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I need uh, my emotional energy for other things. It takes emotional energy to oh, be serious about losing weight. Absolutely. And I just don't feel like I have it, so I'm just kind of maintaining, trying not to get too fat, weigh myself go. every day. And, yeah, exactly. And who cares? Eh, I, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see if anything comes out of looser clothing. The pandemic wardrobe, which some people think might be around, you know, to stay. The, the 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 athleisure wear the loose fitting athleisure wear, yeah. Well, and uh, in a semi similar topic, I guess somewhat uh, related, uh, the changes in weddings during COVID, the trends. Uh, you'd you'd like to think because big lavish weddings would be super spreader events, therefore they're not happening. People would not be squandering huge amounts of money on weddings. Well, they they still are. They're just squandering it on different things. And I'm pro marriage. I'm pro a nice wedding. I'm just not pro spending money you don't have on some sort of fairy book princess wedding when, you know, it's it's the marriage that's important, not the wedding. But we can talk about that. Um, We are into the meme comedy. How do you say it? The meme economy. Meme economy, uh, as Sean has been calling it. Why are the worst stocks doing the best? Well, they're hot memes. <laughs> And wow. no, no uh, business school is teaching you how to deal with this. Nobody knows. Yeah, Yahoo Finance today said the stock market is now the meme market. Okay, well, we got that wow. coming up, among other things. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. When President Biden talked for the last couple months, particularly during the transition, about reopening schools within the first 100 days, mm -hmm. why didn't he ever mention the small print? that that was just going to be for one day a week as the goal? Well, again, the president uh, made a, set a goal of reopening the majority of schools uh, within 100 days. And when you asked what that meant, I answered the question. So uh, we are, uh, that, is the, that is not the ceiling. That is the, uh, that is the bar we're trying to leap over and exceed. Okay. Sure. And if I said, honey, I'm going to quit drinking. And then later explained uh, on Mondays. I just meant on Mondays. I'm, she's just supposed to say, oh, I made assumptions I shouldn't have. No. <laughs> Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, all right? Maybe those of you who are new to politics thought Donald Trump's a White House was doing something new when they would spin this or that. No, that's what the politicians do. Make a promise you couldn't live up to, like opening the schools within 100 days, and then you say, oh, we meant just, you know, one day a week with some schools is what we meant. Just, you know, 50% of schools plus one open for a single day. Because that'll really help parents and really heal the wounds of the children and the educational deficits. It's despicable. Um, I was reading more about Bruce Springsteen's DUI. I don't know why this makes me mad. Because of your history with the rigid park rangers. You're probably right. It's a sore spot. So I was just reading the New York Post version. So he's riding his motorcycle there. He sees some fans waving their hands. He goes over there on his motorcycle, signs some autographs. One of them says, hey, you want a shot of tequila? He took a shot of tequila sitting on his motorcycle. It wasn't on at the time or moving, but he took a shot of tequila. There's police right there. There's like a, you know, park ranger um, sitting over there and sees him do it. And I don't know if they felt like they were compelled at that point because he, but it's still, it's below the level of intoxication. And I'll bet, I'll bet he peeled out on his motorcycle like a cool guy. That'd be my guess. It doesn't say that because uh -huh. they busted him for driving under the influence. He blew a point oh two, which is a quarter of the really low threshold of point oh eight, which is the threshold for a drunk driving. But he blew a point oh two, and they charged him with reckless driving. So whatever. Sounds like he got it in for Bruce Springsteen or something. It's like the opposite of what happens with famous people sometimes. Yeah, like you know, like him because he's Bruce Springsteen. I, you know, maybe. I also know that whether it's on a lake or some parks or whatever, if they have a lot of problem with drunken boating or whatever, they go in, into a crackdown period. But once you find out he's not... everybody with a beer in their hand gets uh, ticketed. You would definitely get pulled over if they, you know, if you got that mood going, see if you found somebody that had been drinking all day long. But when you find out he's not at all drunk, right? you'd think, you know... Zero tolerance, Jack. It Whatever. simplifies everything for everybody. Whatever. Not Zero a, tolerance. Not a major deal. Jeep has dropped him after his big Super Bowl ad. So I don't know what that means to the Jeep stock. That's oh, not man. one of the... I have my guitar in my car. I was going to go there to the middle of America, right in the center, and meet Bruce and the Little Chapel and jam with him. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't know if that was part of the meme economy. Yahoo Finance writing today, the worst stocks are doing the best. This is their morning brief. The stock market has become the meme market now. Factoring in how much of a meme a given asset might be is just not part of a traditional portfolio management or anything they teach in a CFA program yet. But they might have to in the future. Isn't that something? Give me an example or two of the meme economy. Well, uh, 
obviously the GameStop. Thing. GameStop is the 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 biggest example. Um, similar, smaller scale thing was the uh, I'm I'm here. Uh, I'm I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Somebody bought that domain name and was selling <laughs> it off for for way more. You buy it for five bucks. They were selling it for three figures. Right, very small scale version of that. I'm oh, never. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, uh, counselor. Oh. Uh, Oh, do we have? Do we have? I'm here. I'm not a cat. That's we got to have that the key clip phrase, Michael. Yeah, because that is a. Uh, I'll um, have to grab it. You've okay. All right. All um, right. you've failed, Michael. Just in case you were wondering, you've, you've failed. <laughs> I played that for my kids last night. The cat face lawyer. They they really enjoyed that. Did you see Brett Bear open? Brett Bear opened with that. Yes, he opened with a bear head on yeah. it. I'm here. I'm not a bear, he said. <laughs> that was bold. But then he got into serious impeachment talk. Oh, boy. Seems like so I is, is there a meme economy element to Tesla's skyrocketing stock? The uh, fact I, that Elon Musk is cool, he tweets. That's certainly part Absol- of it. Elon is the patron saint of, of meme economy. Okay. Um, the, okay. Uh, one of the... So there are many cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is just the most notable one. But he tweets about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies all the time, and they just shoot up. Right. Mm. Based on his tweet. Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. That's that's the clip we needed seven minutes ago. Timing. Yep. <laughs> Timing. Edit it in when this actually airs. Yeah, yeah. Edit it in when we were talking about the cat lawyer earlier. I'm here. I'm, I'm not. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. I'm not a cat. <laughs> he says with his cartoon cat voice. Maybe I'm giving Wait. Nancy Pelosi too much credit for playing three-dimensional chess. All chess is three-dimensional. They're playing more of those videos today, which are, you know, really rough. Um, I wonder if she remembers how the Clinton impeachment played out. People don't remember what the articles of impeachment were about. It was just a, should you impeach a guy for cheating on his wife, was the way most of America took the impeachment of Bill Clinton. They didn't think it was perjury and obstruction of justice. It was, Mm -hmm. should you get booted out of office for cheating on your wife? And I think she's she's going with, people aren't going to remember what the article of impeachment was that, the Republicans, you know, you could make a uh, you can make a decent argument that he didn't incite this with his speech that day, but people aren't going to remember that that's what they voted no on. All the ads leading up to twenty two elections all across the country are going to be look at this, and Republicans said this was okay. Right? Yeah, she yep. might be that's, right about that's that. True. Too. Yeah, it's it's nasty, it's evil, but it's it's fairly clever. We'll see how it plays out. You know. History has a funny way of throwing new wrinkles in that turn the old analyses into, well, old analyses. So we'll mm-hmm. have to see, but I think you're right. Hey, are you in the mood for something a little brainy? Uh, this is uh, sent along by uh, beloved listener Anne. Um, it is uh, a screed by Harvard professor James Hankins. We see, she suggests we have a, uh, a visit with. It's probably a good idea. He's, uh, he's writing about how we got to this point uh, politically in the country, and he starts by saying America was founded as an agrarian republic with a mixed constitution. 
This government was supposed to reflect the popular will, tempered by the wisdom of senior statesmen in the Senate, by wise laws, and by an independent judiciary, allowing citizens an ordered liberty. Then he talks about beginning in the late 19th century, or maybe even a little earlier, the country became industrialized and wealthy, and it inclined towards uh, oligarchy. Progressives supported a powerful government to check abuses of great private wealth, but in the end, after the Second World War, political and economic power merged. We were then said to have a mixed economy. And the mixed economy, all too easily, was tempted into crony capitalism as politicians and the elite of wealth and power recognized common interests. So far, pretty solid. And obviously, Jack, interrupt any time you want. As if I need to invite you. You're the co-host. Politically, the saving grace of the post-war American oligarchy was that the elite of wealth and power did not appear to side wholly with either major party or against the people. Its way of life was not dramatically different from that of the middle classes. Mm Mm-hmm. There was still a strong ethic of public service, and most people were left alone. Uh, you know, just to illustrate that, the, the CEO of the company often belonged to the JCs or, or uh, you know, uh, philanthropic organizations with his employees. His kids frequently went to the same schools. Um, not always, but, but sometimes, and, you know, you'd see him on the street. Um, both parties had to compete for the votes of the middle and working classes, and this kept the oligarchy's political wing from ignoring the interests of non-elite citizens. Democracy still counted for something. We also had a strong national culture, especially in sports and entertainment, which most Americans could enjoy in common. A large majority of Americans were at least nominally Christian, and political attacks on religion were deemed suicidal. Moreover, the Cold War gave most of us a sense of shared political values. Probably don't need to uh, to elaborate much on that. I think the history is pretty well known. But he mentions that uh, liberals, as they were then called, scrambled to distinguish their ideas from Marxists. A new, more persuasive defense of capitalism and free markets arose, led by such economists as Milton Friedman and Friedrich Hayek. The rise of the military-industrial complex offered incentives to the wealthy to align their interests with the United States. So far, so good. After the end of the Cold War, however, the oligarchy began to change in character, first gradually, then suddenly. It became globalist in outlook. Its economic interests diverged from those of the nation-state. Socialism was the perfect disguise for international corporations profiting from cheap foreign labor. Corporate commitments to social justice assuaged consciences in executive suites as well. Socialism thus became the opium of the moneyed elites, even while they continued in practice the old crony capitalism. There's just a little bit more. He's, he's, He's bringing it home. Elite socialism, unsurprisingly, showed no real interest in the welfare of the working poor, Instead, the new oligarchy paraded its partisanship on behalf of those minorities it needed for electoral success. The new left's holy trinity of race, gender, and class was dogma in these in the universities. Uh, but the uh, the reality of the credentialed elite paid little attention to class. Opposing racial and gender discrimination, no matter how microscopic, was the core of the new religion of social justice. Celebrating a diversity which excluded at least a third of the population, elites built up a set of cultural norms and behaviors that separated them more and more perceptibly from the multitude. And then the Great Recession of 2008 was a thunderbolt that briefly illuminated the landscape of economic power in America. The nation watched dumbstruck as politicians of both parties rushed to shore up the wealth of the few with the taxes of the many. Mm. The the frightening plunge in the market indices proved in the end a mild recession for the haves, but a depression for the have-nots. Outwardly, little had changed. The tech oligopoly was still consolidating its control of social media, holding aloof from politics. Wall Street continued to keep both political parties in its portfolio. Now came 2020. 
last year revealed that the structure of the oligarchy had changed and its strategy for dominance had shifted. It had become more overtly political. It now included Silicon Valley as a full member, along with the big media companies, global corporations, most of the financial industry, and the academics. More ominously, the oligarchy showed in the plainest possible terms that it was no longer willing to take chances with democracy or freedom of speech. It wanted one-party rule, like its friends in China. It was willing to control the flow of information in the interests of this favored party. Its dominance in social media made this strategy far more effective than ever before. With one eye cast admiringly on the European Union, it was now ready to practice the dark arts of managed democracy. That's Harvard professor James Hankins. The dark arts of managed democracy. Yes, yes. And I know I know some of you when you said the election was stolen, and, and I know this because you've written us rather uh, interesting emails, you're talking about the unholy alliance between big tech, media, both political parties, because the Republicans were incredibly uncomfortable with Trump in spite of his high approval ratings, um, and how they all ganged up to to make sure Trump didn't win, couldn't win. Some of you believe there was uh, some vote fraud. Some of you believe there were hundreds of thousands of votes thrown away. I don't happen to agree with you on that, but um, and that's what you mean by the election was stolen. It's bad terminology. Um, Well, have you read the Time Magazine article? We've had so many people texting us. When are you guys going to talk about the Time Magazine article? And I've read about half of it. We haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, the themes were really similar to the, uh, similar to the Hankins stuff, right? There. Yeah, very the much. Part so. I read. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the sh- the shadow election, and it was how big companies, big tech, um, elites on the left, Republican and Democrat, because you obviously you know there are a lot of Republicans that are anti-Trump, um, all got together to try to push various things this way and that way to make sure the election would. Uh, could happen the way they wanted it to it, and any peaceful right. transfer of power um, would occur. And Up it's, to it's and a, including changing some election laws in ways that I find just yeah. indefensible. It's pretty troubling that yeah, many is. people getting together on one side against one person. Um, you know, take Trump out of it. Any outsider that ever comes along that's got an idea radically different from the two parties is going to be up against that. Managed democracy, yeah. And the way the article is couched is that all these brave, wonderful people are trying to save the nation right, from Trump. Right, right. Um, I don't but, trust people. I don't trust any of those groups to have, you know, to be right about this. Well, right. And even if their motives were pure, and I don't believe for a second that they were, it's it's scary that oligarchs, the powerful, the moneyed, wield enough power to even do that effectively. Even if, again, they were right. But the fact that their ideas are are wrong frequently and or entirely self-serving and their loyalties are every bit uh, as much looking at the giant market of China as they are to patriotism or the United States, the fact that people with that mm, tainted a set of motives could pull that off, yeah, that's disturbing. Will we ever know what levers were pulled by how many people, when Bernie had that head of steam and looked like it was just impossible for him to lose. Bernard Sanders. And certainly impossible for Biden to win and get the nomination when the heavyweights stepped in. I wonder if we'll ever know that story. I wonder if they they sent a, Bernie a picture of his wife with a shotgun level at her. I mean, they could do anything. <laughs> Seems a little extreme. 
little extreme. Little, you're a child. Child. <laughs> Grow up. There are trillions of dollars at stake. You think they wouldn't gun down Bernie Sanders, old lady? I think they held Bernie's mittens over a wood chipper. <laughs> oh, my God. Not my mittens. That's my not only my, That's my only Not pair. my charming handmade mittens. Those mittens cost $17. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. But, no, you people are right. It, it, it's an interesting, and I need to finish the article, but I, I got the gist of it. It is a very strange time in our history, as Professor Hankins points out. The gist is all I'm trying to get out of anything. What is this book about, a whale? Okay, I think I get it. <laughs> Do they catch the whale or don't they? It wrecks the boat? Must be a big whale. Next. <laughs> Next book. <laughs> That's um, right. We'll try to finish. Why they put the scarlet letter on her? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, there's sex in it. Well, maybe I will read the first chapter. <laughs> More on the way. Yeah, good. Armstrong and Getty. Show. I mean, just think about it. What does the national anthem even have to do with a basketball game? George Washington didn't beat the Red Coats in a game of three on three. I mean, although he would have, due to a 6 2 in the 1700s. Back then, he was basically Shaq in a powdered wig. Yeah, man, we're going to free this country. We're going to write something about it. We're going to make a United States of America, baby. Yeah, so the National Anthem is back with the Dallas Mavericks. They decided they weren't going to have the National Anthem all season long, and then the NBA say, oh, yes, you are. And so last night they had the National Anthem. So there you go. The USA Today, which is veering leftward, I mean, it's unbelievable in the last couple of years, had an editorial. Mark Cuban's decision to not play National Anthem before games will surely draw outrage, but it's long overdue. (laughs) Why is it long overdue? The USA Today is full of crap. Um, uh, they just say too it's too controversial. They said uh, many Americans don't think the anthem represents them. Well, you're wrong. You're just wrong. It does absolutely does. So uh, yesterday, I brought you my favorite conundrum: if I punch myself in the face hard enough to make myself cry, am I a really tough guy or a really wimpy guy? Here, here's another one for you. Judy and I are going to take a bit of a long weekend. We're taking President's Day off for once in our careers. Um, we're going to uh, take a road trip, see friends. Going to Millard Filmer's, Fillmore's childhood home. In order to, it's fascinating. I mean, you picture <laughs> Millard Fillmore was in these very rooms. <laughs> so in order to pack light, I decided I'm just wearing the same pants all like three days. Sure. That's very fine. comfortable pants, fresh out of the laundry. There you go. I, I have just no went problem the, with that. I just went to the Johnny in the, uh, the, the, the well, the, the bathroom, and I got soap on the pants, and you can na- and you can see that I did. So, so here she's going to wear stained pants three days. Here is row. my okay. question. Okay, homeless guy. Here is my question: Are my pants dirty? <laughs> I see. It is a similar conundrum. <laughs> no, they're not. If there's a soap stain, a visible stain, but it's yes. soap on your pants, yes. are your pants dirty? Are they? I say blowing, no. blowing your mind. <laughs> so uh, you are the, traveled in stained stained pants, guy. Though, yeah, you gotta look real close. If you're looking that long, where the stain is, uh, we know each other pretty well. <laughs> 
This is an interesting opening sentence from the Washington Post. I'm not sure I buy it. While the pandemic has led to a flurry of engagements. Has it? Have you heard that anywhere? No, I have not. Seems counterintuitive. I think, people just dating, therefore... up, I think people make up premises like that all the time. Every time I see an article about relationships during the pandemic, I cannot throw my phone fast enough across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Now, let me, let me put aside the fact that the entire premise seems to be a load of horse ass and move on. While the pandemic has led to a flurry of engagements, it has also put in limbo much of the wedding industry. That I, I sure, believe. Obviously. A $73 billion market, according to this data research firm. Most couples, about 80% of them, postponed or canceled their ceremonies after the outbreak began. Michael got married during the uh, pandemic. Did you have any sense of like how busy photographers were in the Tux place and any of that sort of stuff? Everybody was still pretty busy. Yeah. Okay. N- now, listen, I'm not omniscient. <laughs> I don't know what was in your mind and heart when you postponed your wedding, because I've, I've heard of people saying they did. But get married. Then have a big, giant party down the road. But if you really want to live with this person, be with them oh, the rest of your life, get hitched. I see what you mean, yeah. yeah but yeah, anyway. Yeah. I was about to say, we well, don't want grandma and grandpa maybe coming. But no, you can still get married. Renew your vows. You know, have the minister there. Just do the whole thing. But get go double ahead and get the married. presents. Almost like you're saying focus more on the marriage than the wedding. That is nonsense. (laughs) I'm a little unsentimental about those things, but those who haven't are scaling back considerably with backyard vows and online ceremonies to avoid larger gathering. But here's the interesting part. Couples still feel the need to spend a crap load of money on the wedding for some reason, so they're splurging on bigger engagement rings, individually packed charcuterie plates, and macarons. What's a charcuterie plate? Get your meats and cheeses and olives and such. Goes good with wine. They're delicious. Why don't you say a meat and cheese plate? And they're moving away from... Because it's a charcuterie. And sometimes there's olives. And they're moving away from multi-course dinners, traditional venues, and tiered cakes. Oh, I had so much to say about the cakes, but we're out of time. I like a tiered cake. (laughs) You know. That's how you end up with a tiered belly, though. My belly's kind of big there. It's bigger here. It's really big right there. <laughs> Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Hey, how about a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap up the show? There he is pressing the buttons, our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael! Yeah, happy birthday, Joe. You just tell me what you want for a special birthday dinner, and I'll have Sean buy it for you. <laughs> oh, and happy early uh, President's Day, too. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Positive Sean, our producer, final thought? Yeah, I'm going to be spending the rest of the day riding high that the fact that uh, Yahoo Finance clearly stealing my bits. They're taking my meme economy thing and running with it. But hey, as long as more people are aware of it, that's a good thing. Yeah, if we had a buck for every uh, bit of ours that had been stolen, we'd have many bucks. Jack, a final thought? Several bucks. So there's a chance <laughs> that uh, Trump's lawyers do their thing today and will there be a comeback for that first lawyer caster i'm thinking he he just he seems like the guy that's gonna try too hard to overcompensate with like jokes and stories i think it could be an all-time memeable hilarious event uh i hope he uh yeah he looks like he bought his jacket at the thrift store too his suit coat it doesn't fit right is he a big old fat boy no need tiered cakes no No? too many tiered cakes uh, my final thought is it is my birthday today. I don't make a big deal of that because I'm uh, an aging gentleman, but I did celebrate by getting sciatica, apparently, in the last uh, 36 hours. Yay! 
Yay! Was up half the night with pain, so I'm hoping it's temporary. I've been doing, like, landscaping, moving rocks and stuff lately, so I'm, I'm hoping I just tweak something and it'll go away. I'm hoping that. Yeah, birthdays uh, past the age of, like, 25 are really not much to uh, focus on. No. Another year closer to the old Graver Rooney. <laughs> Be honest. Well, beats the alternative. <laughs> the old Graveroni. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. Go to ArmstrongandGetty.com. We have a lot of great clicks for you, all sorts of articles and videos and, and whatnot. You can email us mailbag at ArmstrongandGetty.com. If there's something we ought to be talking about, send it along. And you can buy all sorts of great ANG swag for your friends, your relatives, uh, whomever you like. If there is anything good in the impeachment today, we'll play it for you tomorrow. If there's not, we won't. We won't because we don't need to. Uh, see you then. God bless America. Can I ask our producers, can we uh, get out of here, please? What are you doing? Figure it out. Or get off the podium. And when it's over, it is over. It is over. Yeah, it's just complete, utter nonsense. So let's just dispense with that fundamental, foundationally nonsense. And trash. Idiots. Shut up, morons. Okay. I'm gonna call my lawyer. Gun. That is the climax of foolishness. How? Do Armstrong and Getty stay employed? Mm. Armstrong and Getty.